So we are in the series that we have called Unsung Heroes, and what we're doing is we are kind of stopping, if you will, and looking at those individuals that so often when we read the scriptures, we just naturally overlook them. These are people that, in a lot of cases, we don't even know what their names are, but these are kind of everyday folks. They're not kings. They're not judges. They're not prophets. They're not leaders of nations. Uh, they're people probably more like you and I. And again, we, we read through the scriptures, and, and it's pretty easy to jump past these people. But what we're trying to do is just slow down and take a closer look and ask the question, what can I learn from this individual? May not even know his name, but what is it about what they did that can encourage me in my walk with God? So far, we've done three of these unsung heroes. They've all come out of the book of Exodus, just as a way of review. The first week, we talked about a couple of midwives. You remember that they were incredibly brave and went against Pharaoh's orders to kill all the baby Hebrew boys, and they said, no, we're not going to do it, knowing that they were risking their lives to do that. And they really sat in wheels set in motion the wheels of liberation for uh, the Israelite people from, from Egypt. That was the beginning of the story. That's the beginning of Exodus chapter one. And the question we asked that week was, where is God asking you to be brave? What is that conversation he might be encouraging you to have that you've been sort of afraid to have? Maybe it's a step of faith that, that you know you're supposed to step out and do something, but you've been holding back from that. So where is God asking you to be brave? Then in week two, we looked at Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, and we talked about how he played an important role in kind of helping Moses to reach his redemptive potential. And the question I asked that week is, who are you supposed to come alongside of to help them reach their redemptive potential. It's part of how God works. God has called all of us to uh, be poured into by someone, but also to pour into someone. So who is God calling you to help reach their redemptive potential? And then last week, we looked at the end of Exodus, and we saw the story where the people kind of rose up, and they gave out of incredible generosity of their time and their resources, and then they built the tabernacle. And if you remember, after they did that, they, the Spirit of the Lord descended upon them. And we just talked about how when we really all come to the table, when we all contribute, the way God stirs in our hearts to contribute, that it unleashes the power of God in our church, but just in the community as well. So that was Exodus. Now we're going to jump 1,400 years, and we're going to end up in Luke. So grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. And before I read, I just want to put this a little bit into context for you. But, but this is uh, the, the day of Jesus' resurrection, right? This is the, the events or some of the events of the very first Easter, Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's risen from the dead, and as of yet, he's appeared to a few people, but really no one quite knows what to make of it. Even the people that he's appeared to are still trying to figure out, did I see what I thought I saw? Did I talk to who I thought? What is going on? How is it possible? And you got to remember, this is someone who was brutally executed, who's now alive. That would be hard to wrap your minds around. So we're in that phase, if you will, of the, of the resurrection story, of the Easter story. So Luke 24, I'm gonna start reading in verse 13. Um, so this is what the passage says. It says, that very day, so we're talking about the resurrection day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, 
What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to, to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. If you listen to their words, you can hear their brokenheartedness. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Must have been a pretty incredible walk, wouldn't you say? Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let me pray for us. Lord, this is an amazing story, a fascinating story. And I pray in these next just few minutes that you would give me the wisdom to uh, unpack what we need to hear. That each one of us would leave with a, a moment of truth, uh, a word from you whether it's just from the reading that we've already had or the songs that we say, would, would you just speak to each heart? Would you plant a seed and would our hearts be uh, soft enough and open enough that that seed would, would be planted deep, that it would bear fruit a hundredfold? Lord, we pray every week that we would leave this room different than we came because we've interacted with the living God, that we would never be satisfied to play church, but that we would be the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have to be honest with you. When I started studying this passage and putting together the message this week, and I even said this to Meg early in the week, um, I'm not sure I was convinced that these two individuals were heroes. I mean, after all, what did they do? Like, what is their, their, their behavior? Where did they show great bravery? Like, what, what is it that these two people did that we can say, wow, look at them, they are, they are heroes, what is it about their lives that we are to emulate or learn from? And the longer I sat with the story throughout the week and the longer I, I began to put together the message, the more I realized they are absolutely indeed heroes. But before we get to why they're heroes, I just want to uh, answer an obvious question. Who are they? 
Who are these two? We don't know a lot about them, and some of what I'm going to tell you may surprise you, uh, but what the text tells us right from the very beginning is it says that very day, we already talked about the resurrection day, two of them. What does it mean, two of them? The word them is a clue for us to mean something. That what does it mean that they were part of a group where they would be called them? And the truth is, they were disciples. And sometimes we forget that there were more than the 12 disciples. At this point, there's only, only 11 because Judas has taken his own life. But there was 12 disciples, but there, they were the apostles. But there were many other disciples who followed Jesus, who hung out with Jesus, who learned from Jesus. We even see that in the text when it says when they came back to Jerusalem, they found the 11 and others who were with them. Those others who were with them are also disciples. So the first thing we know about these two Emmaus walkers is they are disciples. And what is a disciple? A good definition of a disciple, I want to put that up on the screen, is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. What you need to know is you can be a disciple of someone at work. You could be a disciple of someone on your athletic team. You can be modeling your life in some ways after a person, right? So you would become a disciple of somebody at work because you want to have the same success. Maybe they're really successful in sales and you're in sales and so they're, they're showing you how to be successful. So a disciple is just someone who adheres to the teaching of another, a follower or a learner of someone, and then just someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Right? So that's what it means to be a disciple. So what is our mission statement here at Grace? We are a mosaic. That's just this uh, incredibly cool mix that God has given us here to, to worship with and to be a part of. But we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. To, to live like Jesus is to think like Jesus. It's to serve like Jesus. It's to love like Jesus. It's, it's us spending time in the Gospels, looking at the life of Jesus, and then saying, how do we live our lives the way Jesus lived his life. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what we are, and that's what these two individuals were. And what I want you to hear this morning is that to be a devoted disciple of Jesus is to be an unsung hero. If you live out the principles that Jesus has for you, if you live a life that is modeled after Jesus, you will be a hero. There's something that you may not know about these two, uh, it's very likely, and many scholars would agree with this, and I agree with them, uh, that these two individuals are husband and wife. Most of us probably grew up envisioning, if we ever read this story, two men walking down the road. A lot of the old paintings uh, uh, of this is two men. And I think some of that's just because when we hear disciple, we might more naturally think men, but there were women disciples. We know that to be true. And, and so if we look at this passage, we know that the, the gentleman's name from verse 18 is Cleopas, right? But there's another Cleopas that shows up in John 19.25. Now, it's spelled a little bit different, but that's very common in ancient writing. So we have these two individuals, and, and really almost no one thinks that they were two different people. So here's these two guys, right? Same guy, his name is Cleopas. And Cleopas' wife is one of the people who were standing at the cross with Mary, Jesus' mother. It says Cleopas' wife was one of those people. So we have this second person who's there. And so what we also know is uh, this was a great time of turmoil. If you were a disciple of Jesus and Jesus was just executed in a brutal way, there was a great deal of fear. And, and, and so when they were held up in the room, part of the reason they were held up is because they were trying to figure out, are they next? 
right? There's a whole lot of fear wrapped around us. They're, they're, they're not feeling comfortable. So it's pretty unlikely if Cleopas' wife was in Jerusalem and he was going to head home back to Emmaus that he would take that long walk by himself. He would take his wife with him. So you can make a strong case that it was husband and wife. And what I want you to hear is that there were women disciples, And this is just another case of Jesus revealing himself to both men and women and entrusting the message to both men and women. Jesus appears to both of them and and he he comes to them and he reveals himself to them, but he does that for a, a reason, so that they will be a witness to his resurrection. So this brings me to the first important application that we can make from Cleopas and his wife. They were disciples, right? But they must have been incredibly trustworthy disciples. I mean, Jesus could have appeared to anybody he wanted to, but he chose these two individuals walking down the street for, he he must have chose them for a reason. And it's worth asking the question, why? Why did he choose them? And the only logical answer is he knew that they would be credible witnesses to his resurrection. They knew that they, that they would carry that message well, that they would bring it to the, to the other people. We know that they actually end up doing that. So if you look at verse 33, it actually says, and, and they, talking about the two Emmaus walkers, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is a big deal. It's already dark, and you don't go for long walks, especially in a season where you're already worried about being uh, harmed by the Romans, right? There's already, already a sense of insecurity. You've just watched the most brutal death in the history of mankind, and, and yet they're willing to take this risk and walk in the dark, big deal in the ancient world, and walk back to Jerusalem. So then it says, and they found the 11, and those who were gathered with them, the rest of the disciples, verse 34, and they were saying, these disciples in the room, the Lord is risen, he's appeared to Simon. And then they, the Emmaus walkers, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They head back. They actually are faithful with the message that Jesus gives them. They are faithful witnesses. Jesus knows that they're, A, they're his disciples, but they're disciples that he can entrust a message to. They show up and they're in that room and really what they're saying to the disciples is, it's true. It's true. What Simon is saying is is really true. He's really risen from the dead. We've seen him. We walked with him. We had him at our dinner table. And this is what we need to hear in this. We need to be faithful witnesses to what Jesus gives us. We need to be willing to share what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is to us with others. As a follower of Jesus, he has revealed himself to you in some way. And then when he does that, he is entrusting a message to you. So by the time you get to verse 48 of this same chapter, Jesus says, you are witnesses to these things. You, Grace Community Church, are witnesses to the movement of God in your lives, meaning that you are supposed to share what God is doing in your life with others. And to be a faithful witness is to be an unsung hero. So they have this profound encounter with Jesus, and and we can learn from that. But there's something uh, about this encounter that's worth slowing down and looking at. Jesus is walking with them. 
Even when they can't recognize him, Jesus is walking with them. There's this picture of intimacy. It's a beautiful picture of just a journey together. And even though they are unaware of it, Jesus is there by their side. And the application for us is, is the same, that even when we can't see him, even when we don't recognize him in our circumstances, he is with us, right? The, the living Breathing Jesus is, is with us. And this one truth about Jesus' presence in our life will radically transform your life, right? It will radically transform your marriage. It will radically transform your C group. When you actually get to the place where you realize Jesus is here, Right, He is in the room. He is with us. So when you sit down as a C group, just remind each other, wait a minute, Jesus is here. I have a good friend. He often says, well, it's, we, sometimes we think we're talking behind his back, like he's not here, like we're just having a conversation about him. How different would the conversation be when we realize, no, Jesus is with us. Actually recognizing the presence of God in our lives changes everything. Jesus actually said in Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always. To the very, very end, I will be with you. It's a powerful picture. So when you and your spouse are struggling, what if you would stop and just say, wait a minute, Jesus is here. We don't have to figure this out on our own. Jesus is with us. Let's ask him. Let's ask him to, to speak to us the way he did the, the Emmaus walkers. Let's ask him to bring wisdom to us. Let's ask him to, to help us understand what he might be saying to us through the word. Let's, let's lean into the fact that Jesus is present with us. If you're a C group leader, you don't have to be the, the wisdom dispenser. and always have, All you have to do is just remind your group every time you're together, wait, Jesus is here. Let's just ask him. Let's just lean into that truth. Matthew also says, for where there's two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. That's powerful. So the Emmaus couple, they say these words. They say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? I think we need to look for, and I think we need to expect that kind of experience. Have you ever like been reading the word and, and the Bible and, and just had this like revelation where you know it was the spirit of God making that passage make sense to you and your heart actually burned like this is the coolest thing ever. Have you had that experience? If you haven't, I'm just encouraging you, you should expect that. You should ask for that. You should, you should go every time to the word and say, God, would you speak to me the way you spoke to the Emmaus walkers and would you, would you cause my heart to burn within me as you make the scriptures make sense to me? Would you speak to me? So there's another observation that we can make from the Emmaus walkers that I think is, is worth looking at. And this is the fact that these were two people that displayed incredible hospitality. When I talk about hospitality, I know I say this all the time, but when I say hospitality, a lot of you think you can make a really good dinner and have people over and put on a great spread. That is a form of hospitality. But when we talk about hospitality in this context, what we're really talking about is having space in our hearts for people. 
making room for others to, to actually be with us and for us to be with them. And to be honest with you, I find that's much harder than making a meal and having people over for dinner, having space for other people in your life. That's the hospitality that we're talking about. And if you think about it, these two folks are pretty, uh, they, they are grieving, right? They've just witnessed this brutal execution of someone they loved, someone they thought was going to be the redeemer of Israel. You can hear it in the way they're talking. They are brokenhearted. So it would make perfect sense for them to just have their head down and sort of be like, look, buddy, this is not a good time for us to chat. We just want to go home. We just want to lay down and we want to forget the events of the last weekend. It's been horrible. You have no idea what we've been through. We don't really want to talk to you. But imagine if that had been their response, what they'd have missed out on. But they don't. So Jesus walks with them. And then you get to this, this, this point where they were getting close to the city. Verse 28, it says they were drawing near to the village and, at which they were going. And he, that's Jesus, acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's towards evening and the day is spent. Again, after that horrible weekend, they're still willing to open their home and to put dinner on the table for this person who at this point is still a complete stranger. Imagine how different the story would be had they not shown that kind of hospitality. And here's what I want you to hear. We miss out on what Jesus has for us when we are inhospitable, when we are unwilling to make space in our hearts for the stranger. So Hebrews actually commands us. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware, or Jesus unaware in this case. Whenever I think of this passage, this passage comes to mind a lot for me, and I've shared this story before, but it's just, it, it's the best example I have of it. Uh, when someone comes to the door here at Grace and we're in our offices, when they push a little button, the phone rings differently, so we know it's the door and not the phone. Otherwise, we'd be going, hello, and nobody would be there all the time, so that wouldn't work. So it's the front door. Sometimes, and I'm just being honest with you, when that bell rings differently, I sigh. Like... Man, I am so busy. I just don't have time for people. Because a lot of times it's someone who's just, they've bumped into a hard time. They need somebody to talk to. It's just whatever it is. And, and I'm just, I'm annoyed. And I know none of that's Jesus. I'm just telling you that is an inhospitable spirit, right? And so sometimes as I'm walking down the steps to get to the front door, I have to literally say to myself, okay, Doug, you need to be present, you need to care for this person, really care for them. You need to listen to their heart. You need to make space in your heart. And sometimes I even say, gosh, I sure don't want to mess up and have this be an angel unaware, and I'm like failing the test. I'm just telling you all the weird things that go through my head. But the point is, that should be the way it is for all of us. I love Mother Teresa. She would, whenever she would care for someone, whether she was bandaging a wound or feeding someone, uh, she took Matthew 25 seriously, where Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And so she would say, when I'm bandaging a wound, I'm bandaging the wound of Jesus. When I feed somebody, I'm feeding Jesus. It was this beautiful picture of having a hospitable spirit. I believe our lives are radically transformed when we live into that Hebrews passage and do not neglect to show hospitality to the strangers. Just as a sort of side note, this is why it's so important that our C groups are always open to the guest, to the stranger. And what happens a lot of times in, in small group ministry and in, whenever we begin to, to have a, a group of people we, we like being around is we sometimes just become very inwardly focused quickly. 
and we like what we have, so we don't want to mess it up. And so we stop inviting other people into it because we want what we have and, and we forget that we're kind of called to lay down what we want for the benefit of others. And, and what I would say is, is they miss out because they're not invited to this rich thing that we're experiencing, but we miss out because we don't live into this idea of being hospitable and inviting the stranger. The most important person in the room in any of your C group or small group experiences is the new person. That's what the passage is saying. Like, pay attention to the stranger. The most important person in this room are the new people who don't know how to navigate all the things of grace. And if they feel welcome and loved, then we are a church that shows a hospitable spirit. I believe that one of the signs of spiritual maturity is hospitality, making space for others physically and emotionally. We pray this almost daily at the 930 prayer that we would have space and time in our lives for people. <coughs> Excuse me. The Emmaus couples, they're, they're heroes because they're faithful, right? They're faithful with the message. They're trustworthy with that message and they're hospitable. They're heroes because they actually are disciples of Jesus. They have watched Jesus and they've learned from Jesus and now they're emulating Jesus. So what is a disciple? It's someone who adheres to the teachings of another. They were just living out the teaching that they had learned from Jesus in the previous years. It's a follower, a learner, someone who takes up the ways of someone else. They were just doing what Jesus taught them to do. We need to do what Jesus teaches us to do. So it's fascinating to me, uh, just as kind of a, uh, one more point to take from this, that when the Emmaus couples show up in, back in Jerusalem and, they, and they, they meet up with the 11 and the others that are with them, it's fascinating to me that, that they don't go to the Torah, they don't grab some scriptures and do what Jesus did for them. They don't say, well, let me show you all the, the passages and the scriptures and how it points to the fact that Jesus is alive. No, their, their testimony and their story when they show up is their actual experience with Jesus. They just tell their story. And I think there's something liberating and freeing in that. Some of you are afraid to share the message of Jesus because you're not sure you know the scriptures well enough to break it all down. And the truth of the matter is what people need to hear is your story, right? They need to hear the story of Jesus in your life and how Jesus has shown up powerfully in your life, right? So, so the fact that, that Jesus played an incredible role in, in repairing my family and, 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 and my marriage with Meg, that's part of my story. That's part of what I share with people when I try to talk about that Jesus is real. Look what he's done in my family. Or if you look at Meg and her, her overcoming the, the anxiety and the depression that she used to work through and how that's the power of God in her life. That's part of her story. Any one of you who have had these major victories where you've overcome addiction or you've, you've been set free or you've experienced the physical healing, that becomes part of your story that helps you to say to others, no, he's real. He came over to my house. He hung out with me. He, he had dinner with me, right? He, he's real. I, I've met him. That's what people need to hear. They need to hear our stories. The Bible stuff is important. We'll get to that, right? We can, we can spend time in the word, but what people need to hear is the power of God in our lives, Now, I want to be fair. Um, I don't know if fair is the right word, but I have no doubt that there are some in the room who have not experienced that Jesus. And you may have been new at grace, or you may have just been uh, hovering around for a while, and, and, and you just haven't 
taken that leap of faith. You haven't really even uh, experienced Jesus in the way that I just described. And I just want to tell you, you can. These are the words of Jesus. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And any of you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And I'll dine with them and he with me. It's the Emmaus story, isn't it? Behold, I'm just walking. I'm, I'm here and I'm knocking at the door. And if you would just say, yes, I'd like to come in and I'd like to sit with you. The picture of dining here is just complete intimacy. So I'm just gonna ask you guys to close your eyes, everybody, uh, just for a moment of prayer. And, and I would just encourage you, if you know, even as I say these words, if you hear the words of Jesus, uh, I would just encourage you to say yes. Just pray a prayer, something like this. Lord, I, I just want you in my life. I open my heart to you. I receive you, Jesus. I wanna experience your power in my life. Lord, I welcome you, and I give my life to you. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room who prayed that prayer and took that, that step of faith, that you would just give them the courage to come and see uh, us afterwards, one of the prayer people down here, that we could just help them along in that journey. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would experience the power of God in our lives. Amen. So for the rest of you, I just want to talk for a moment. Uh, part of what I've been challenged about this week is who is God calling me to share the message with? Now, I know I get to stand up here and talk to all of you, but on a personal level, who has God put in my life that I need to be praying into the kingdom of God? That I need to say, that person's in my life for a reason, and God wants me to have an intentional relationship with them. Not where I can break down the scriptures every time I see them and whack them over the head with a good Bible verse, but where I can share my story with them. And so I'm going to ask you to pray right now. Just pray for a name. Pray for a face. Like, like have God just bring someone to mind. Who is it that God wants you to be, a, to be a messenger to? Where does God want you to take the message? Who is he putting on your heart? Just ask him right now. Just pause for a moment. And I want you to say, Lord, who are you asking me to share the message of Jesus with? Lord, I pray like the Emmaus couple that we would uh, get up from the table and we would go in this very moment and share the message with whoever you put on our heart that we would, we would take that seriously. We would be courageous, have conversations. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're gonna go to the communion table. And uh, so if you've said yes to Jesus, even if it just happened in the last five minutes, uh, this is for you. You don't have to be a member at Grace. You don't have to be a part of our denominational ties, whatever that is. Uh, you just have to have said yes to Jesus. So if the uh, servers would like to come down and hand it out, I just would encourage you to hang on to the elements and uh, we'll take them together. Uh, the scriptures tell us that whenever we come to the table, we ought to examine ourselves. So it's a good chance for you as we just listen to John play a little music and the elements are in out, just to ask yourself, God, where am I with you? What do I need to confess? What do I need to leave in this place? 
What do you want to say to me? So just use it as a quiet time of reflection as we hand out the elements. Again, we'll take them together. I'll come back up in just a moment.
scriptures are clear that we are to participate in this as a way of remembering. So Jesus said, every time you come, remember my body broken. Remember my blood shed. And you know, he didn't ask us to do that because not just remembering the... It's not an act of morbidity. It's a, it's a picture of love. Right? The reason we want to remember is because the crucifixion, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, was the single greatest display of the Father's love that could ever happen. Jesus actually said, I came so that you would know the Father. Right? I gave my life so that you would know how much he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? So we do this as a way of remembering the love of God displayed in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So while he was in that upper room on the very night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, every time you eat it, remember me. And the scriptures say in the same way, he took the cup, the cup of sacrifice. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink from the cup, remember me. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember the incredible love of the Father. So much love that he would sacrifice his own son so that we, too, could be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen. John is going to sing for us and with us, and hopefully you'll sing with him. This is a way of wrapping things up. Until age, from extreme age, you are with us. You're for us. Goodness and love, governing all that you do. service. I'd love for you to join them uh, in the chapel, and we just pray for you and what God might be asking. What we heard today that there's uh, some people struggling with addiction, and we would love for you to come down and meet with one of our prayer team, and let us just pray uh, for strength and encouragement that you would overcome that addiction. Uh, Somebody is suffering from uh, some type of leg injury, maybe an ankle. We would love to pray for your ankle. Uh, We actually heard that someone has a leaky valve, Uh, and I'm not sure if that's metaphoric or literal, but I think Jesus knows, and you probably do too right now, so just come on down. If you have another physical, spiritual needs, a great team down here that would love to pray for you. So uh, God bless you. You have a wonderful Sunday.
pursue 